Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition, and I am your host, as usual, Michael Flores. And today, as per usual, I'm in the studio with David. Hello. Hello, everybody. Okay, so Dave, we are going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 8, titled All In of Star Trek Discovery. Now, if you are new to our show, we do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, because you can leave us five-star ratings and also drop a review on iTunes. It helps our show grow, and it triggers algorithms that then allow other people to find our show more easily. So please do so. We would appreciate it. Okay, so here we are, David. Officially starting our Star Trek from the Holodeck 2022 run, and it's going to be insane. It's it, it's literally starting off like that. I, I wasn't expecting like this episode to kind of pack a wallop like it did. Mm-hmm. Because like unfortunately, I went into the beginning of this mid-season under the pretense that you know what we've gotten in the past you discovery usually starts winding down after the midseason instead we got a pretty it's heavy winding up yeah we got a pretty heavy heavy episode i would say that this season is written more traditionally uh i should say it's it's written like more traditional television which is the right way you should do things you have your your moments you have that build up you feel a little bit of closure in the midpoint, but also there are those questions of what's what's coming around the corner. And you're right, Dave. And then here we are again, getting that build up to something bigger in bigger. the show. Yeah. Okay. So let's get a bit of business out of the way before we get too deep into this episode. And it has to do with how we're going to be breaking things down this year because we are so busy because there are so many things in the works in the way of Star Trek, and we're going to be trying to cover all of it as much as possible. So this is what we have in store, David. The second half of Discovery Season 4, which yes. we're doing right now. The conclusion to the first half of Star Trek Prodigy, and we'll be getting those out, those episode discussions out soon. We are a little behind. And if you thought this, Discovery was getting insane, Prodigy is absolutely bonkers. Yes. We have Star Trek Picard season two, just around the corner that we will also be breaking down. Star Trek Strange New Worlds season one, Star Trek Lower Decks season three, and then the conclusion to Prodigy's second season by the end of the year. And we, our commitment to our listeners, we will cover all of it. Now, in order for this to be advantageous for us, we will need the assistance from listeners. We do need that assistance. Our Patreon content is as follows. This is what we have planned. We have the behind the scenes tier, which includes lots of special things. But more importantly to this show, or I should say more specifically to this show, the pre-shows. Star Trek discussions every single episode prior to these regular discussions that you listen to every week on your podcast provider of choice. We offer a pre-show version of that where we casually discuss recent Star Trek news, maybe get into some episode discussions, things that we can't get into on the regular show for whatever reason. Yes. We also, on Patreon, will be covering the Mirror Universe War from IDW Comic Publishing. We're going to be talking about the Star Trek oversized one-shots that were just announced a few weeks ago, a couple Star Trek books that will be coming out this year, also overflow shows where we might dig into certain topics a bit more from episode discussion. So if there's something really big that happens in the way of, 
you know, canon defining elements, let's say in Discovery or Picard, we may actually have to add another episode to fully get into it and fully dissect it. Because to do so on the regular show would mean we'd have like a two or three hour discussion. Yeah. So we would throw that onto Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital. All right. So let's get into the episode. The book and Tarka. Let's start here. <laughs> okay. We're going to start with the heavy stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's. Yeah. Let's start with the heavy stuff. So this episode, David, was focused on a few things. Some were implied. And others were explicit. Explicit. This episode, I believe, was far better and deeper than some sites and fans are giving credit or saying. I think so, too. Yeah. The relationship between Book and Burnham is being handled maturely at times. And and depending on how it works out, it was a bit Shakespearean and it may end for Book in tragedy. So that is actually being handled fairly well. I don't see Book seeing the error in his ways until it's too late. I I have a feeling he's going to be the attrition for this season, either emotionally or with his life. It's not going to end favorably for him and Burnham. Narratively, I think you're right. I think that basically if the story goes the way it's been told narratively, this should not end in a happy ending. No. Well, look how they built that up in this episode, the division between the two of them. It Mm -hmm. is an animosity. It's, it's a sadness. It's a sadness. It's a sadness that shows a, a chasm between their political outlooks. And that's something that also worked for me in this episode from a purely sociopolitical context. The episode is an allegory for the political divide in this country. We live in an era that is highly divisive. Families are being torn apart based on ideological differences. And it does appear that the writer is using the current, or I should say the writer of this episode, is using the current social landscape to craft bits of the melodrama with notes of the real. And it helps inform the audience from a psychoanalytical perspective. It's a subtle strategy to create psychological rapport. We understand these divisions right now in families. I don't think there's a person out there that has not experienced some type of confrontation with a close friend or family member because of this deep political divide that we have currently in American culture. Well, the thing that that has basically made that possible in this episode too is like they're not going the stereotypical route, at least not yet. They're not going the stereotypical route of showing book as he's completely wrong you know, this, yeah, he's not like, he's not suddenly turned into the ultimate villain, right? Instead, you kind of understand Book where he's coming yeah. from. Yep. And the the sad part is you understand where Burnham's coming from also, but you also see that the divide is there is no way Burnham could ever understand the loss that Book is going through right now. There's no way. And there's no way for Book to understand, hey, this is who Burnham is now. She has responsibilities. She's a, quote, unquote, captain now. It, you you are right, Dave. And that's why it goes back to one of the strongest elements in the previous episode, which is the whole moral relativism aspect where, you know, hey, the, everyone has their own views, essentially, on what's moral and what is not, or I should say ethical as well. So I like what they're doing between the two of them because it's very representative or, yeah, it's very representative of real life. Yeah. What's, and that's the best thing that Star Trek writers can always do. I mean, ever since the days of, I'm not quite sure of the 60s when it comes to the original series, if they touched on, they did. A few episodes touched on the civil rights, a uh, few on the yeah. openness of sexuality. But it was always it was good. But for his time, it was it was a little bit of a, a scrape of the surface. It was superficial. We didn't really get deep into covering current events from a more subtle perspective or a subtle point of view until TNG with the Cardassians. Yeah, that's when they started getting into current politics and then using the form of a, of the science fiction genre to explore those areas. Yeah, and of course we know D Space Nine did it. 
And now Discovery is using the aspect of that that familial divide. And dude, just from visuals as well, visual metaphor, having Burnham and Book face off at the poker table was so creative and it created this metaphor that helped convey context. Yes. The construction of the mise-en-scene. You have the framing, you're keeping them separate across. You had all these different things splitting them. You had, uh, I forgot the name of the alien character in the center. You had the card table filmed in a specific way that actually made the table look extended or elongated so that the, the, the divide between the two of them was so long. Yes. Looked bigger. It was exaggerated. So there was a lot of thought that went into the visuals as well in order to support the, the narrative, the narrative. And that's the thing that I think discovery get when it gets it right, it gets it right very well. You know, like there's been many times and many occasions, especially in like star Trek in, in its history, when, writers or filmmakers have tried to tackle the idea of philosophy and put it into their storytelling. And then all of a sudden it just becomes just like what you said, superficial, or it's just barely scratching the surface here in this episode. If you are actually paying attention to the story, it's really deep. And I know that a lot of people out there are basically trying to make this story sound really simple oh it's a lover's quarrel between book and burnham is there notes of melodrama absolutely absolutely but like it's more than just a lover's quarrel yeah it's about a it's about two two people who have distinct ideological differences and the the question becomes can they come together can they actually coexist and what this episode did perfectly was showing the great freaking mountain that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. I, uh, and going back to what you said, I don't think this is going to end well No, because in all honesty, when you look at books rationale, there's no coming back from that. There's no coming back for him. There, I mean, there could have been, I think that was the point of the episode. This was almost like a way station, a calm before the storm, giving book and our characters an opportunity to give each other one last chance because yes. That was the moment where Burnham, Burnham knew, Book knew that there is, there's no coming back. I think Burnham thought, okay, if I, if I, if I, you know, got face to face with him, I can try to convince him. But after that, I think she realized, you know, there's no convincing him and it's, it's done. Yeah. And the the thing was, is like, that's the tragedy of it. That's the tragedy of it. And like during the whole time, I, the thing I really liked how, the narrative portrayed both characters. No one was seen as the bad guy because we all understand everyone's point of view as the outside audience. Yeah. Because like, that's the, that that's the whole thing that I've been really digging about book is like, after this episode, I was like going, there is no way people could understand that idea of loss, right? The, the, the idea of someone's grief and try to understand it themselves when they haven't even been put through it. Yeah. And unfortunately in this episode, it, it especially how it was portrayed and acted, you kind of get the sense that Burnham realizes this is a lost cause because there's no way she could ever understand what's in Book's mind after experiencing the loss of his family the way it happened. I mean, essentially, right. his entire culture is gone. He's well, nothing. He's, exactly. he's a shadow of himself. Yeah. And that's, again, very important. You know, people do need their culture. And, and the people sa- do need in order to ad- a lot of the themes of this season is also a lot about identity. Yes. And one way people identify is through their culture. And what do you do when your culture is completely and utterly removed? Removed. What are you at that point? Yeah. And it, it it brings up the question that, you know, like in in the polarizing opposite of the data idea where data is constantly searching for what makes him human. Yeah. Book is going through this crisis where he's lost the idea of his self-worth. He's lost the idea of being human. Yeah. Because – that amount of grief, that's what happens when you you 
are faced with that amount of grief and it just destroys you because it's, it's insurmountable. This is a better version than what JJ did with the Kelvin timeline by destroying Vulcan. Yeah. Like I understand what he was doing and I was on board and, and I'm still on board with that idea. I, th- I think it really worked to give oomph behind the new spot, give him instant motivation. It did work, but we never really got to experience the aftermath of the tragedy we saw how he reacted to the tragedy the his immediate reaction but we never got the benefit because of course we're all a bunch of masochists you know that love people's pain (laughs) but we never got to wallow in his depression Depression. and, and to see what this does to him we didn't get to experience that Whereas with the book, we're getting to see what happens when your entire culture and society or civilization is removed from existence. That's why uh, in the past episodes, we've discussed about like possible um, answers to why Book saw that vision, you know, of his father. Mm -hmm. And after this episode, dude, I'm really thinking there's nothing to that vision. There's no... There's no great alien that's trying to affect him. There's nothing like that. That vision was his grief in Book's mind taking effect in his brain and basically much like how, you know, as a person who deals with mental illness and depression and anxiety, I when I thought about it after this episode, I'm like going, that vision wasn't some you know, hint at, oh, there's a big bad in the horizon. No, right. that vision was actually his depression manifested. Yeah. And I should have seen it. But the funny part is I wasn't expecting the the writers of Discovery to go that route. Yeah. It, it does work a lot. but It works a lot. All this, and, and it needs to work for a few reasons. Because, book, in order for this story to work, we have to believe, as the audience, we have to believe that, Book is blinded by emotion. By emotion, right? Otherwise, a lot of the things, both implied and explicitly stated, will not work with the audience. And we're going to get into this right now. He's not seeing the red flags. Yeah. He's not able to see them because he's too emotionally compromised. And I don't think he can trust Tarka. And if he was of a... Uh, more level or evenly minded and not so emotional, he might be able to see that Tarka is not the answer to his problems. As I said, there's a lot of implied meaning that was left for us to sort through the audience I'm talking about here. And and the beauties of it, the beauties of it too, is like the storytelling of book. When you look at, when I look at it after this episode, it just makes my head explode is like, you see the signs there as a person that suffers through depression and stuff like that. You see, I should have seen the red flags. You, he starts manifesting his reasoning in his mind that he has to, he has to do this terrible atrocity and because of the grief, right? Then he starts giving away things like he gave away, he gave away his cat, which seems like a small thing. But when you think about it now, when I think about it after analyzing this episode, that's a very, he doesn't plan on coming back. He doesn't plan on coming back. And that's a, that's a telltale sign of someone who is suffering through depression. Yeah. And basically says, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm going to leave this to this person and say goodbye and yada, yada, yada. That is a red flag. And then trusting someone like Tarka is another red flag of a person who is mentally compromised. Yeah. Parker is more dangerous than we had thought. He's very emotionally compromised, maybe even so, even more so than Book. Uh, the scene with Owo helped us get a better gauge as to where Tarka is emotionally. The reason why this entire scene was so effective was because we learned a lot of things. Okay. Now, yes, he is emotionally compromised. We already know that he's willing to do probably anything in order to. Get home. At least that's what he's saying. Also, the reason why he might be even more dangerous than we had expected originally or suspected, him being from another universe or Tarka being from another universe doesn't appear to be common knowledge because it's clear that Emerald Vance is clueless as to Tarka's motivations or designs to get home. Yes. So that also is another red flag for the audience. Well, if 
Amber Vance, who seems to really trust Tarka, doesn't even know that he's from another universe. That's an issue. Why hasn't Tarka shared this information with anyone else? It seems possible that Tarka might end up having a much larger involvement with the overall myth arc than I had originally thought. Uh, perhaps Tarka knows more about this species than he's leading on. Uh, he very well could have faced this species in his universe and lost. Perhaps his family and his people were killed. Yeah. So this could be a, about revenge or redemption, crossing over, you know, killing them, even though it's not the same. Maybe in his mind it is. Maybe this is also some way of kidnapping the family from this universe and taking it back home. Who knows, Who knows? when you're emotionally compromised? Yeah. Revenge is definitely a part of it for both a book and Tarka. Uh, keeping a promise to someone who died, I want to say, was something they alluded to. Tarka said, there are varying degrees of loss. And if you can feel the weight of mine, there's little choice due to that feeling. Yes. And dude, that that right there in the episode was where it, t it, it like tipped me off to basically we're we're thinking too simplistically with the narrative of discovery this season. You know, we were thinking, Oh, there's a big bad around the horizon. You know, you're going to have, you know, similar to what we would expect in discovery of past, you know, big bad crew comes together and you're going to have a very dynamic, you know, and lead up of the antagonist, like a character like Tarka who is, compromised but there's this manipulating force in the in the shadows after this i'm like no this tarka it's tarka because yeah. tarka is and i wrote it on my notes and i mentioned it to you and you told me to mention it in the show was like to me tarka is like captain captain nemo mm -hmm. he's chasing his white whale <laughs> and book who's going through the same process as Tarka is getting dragged with him. And it's well, and, and David, you are absolutely right with that comparison because this is why Tarka's potential desperation can turn more da dangerous. Yes. This is the stuff that makes up the bulk of some of the, some really great introspective literature from and I was going to go with the direction of Victorian era uh, because of a lot of the goth fiction yes. has a lot of these types of characters, the, the woes of the mad scientist or the yeah. desperate man or woman of science that will go to great lengths to break the laws of nature. I'm sorry. I, I, I misspoke. It's not Captain Nemo. It's Captain Ahab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, Captain uh, Ahab, Moby, from Dick. Moby Dick. Yeah. yeah. But that's what Tarka well, is. Captain Nemo would fit, though, too. Well... <sighs> Yeah, but the the idea of a person obsessed with revenge. Yeah. That is it, Captain Ahab. That's that No, for sure. Yeah. That's Moby Dick. That's Captain Ahab being strung up next to that white whale and getting dragged into oblivion. Yeah. And all of this, Dave, is the reason why Tarka might be the most intriguing character this season. And I don't want to jump to conclusions, Dave. I don't. Yeah. I don't like to disappoint myself. But what if <laughs> here we go here we go what if tarka is the character we've been waiting for that defining literary character that's used as a writing device to create antagonistic or problematic scenarios that challenge the ideological or moral slash ethical values of our characters because who motivated book to steal the spore drive tarka Betray Burnham and run off to seek revenge. Tarka? It was Tarka. He's the catalyst. Everyone has their tell. How many times did they say that during this episode? Suddenly, we've got ourselves in a serious situation besides just simply the DMA, which up to this point has been a relatively abstract threat. Now, from this DMA threat, a potentially greater threat emerges in the form of Tarka. This is the real threat. Someone that feels justified by their actions is always the greatest threat because what's that saying? No one feels like they're the bad guy in their own story. Yeah. Parker is justified in oh, yeah. his mind. He's justified. This type of belief is what brings about some of the worst atrocities. Sacrifice is always heavy, you know, doing it for the right reasons should help, but never does. That's another line. Parker said, mm -hmm. sacrifice is always heavy. Doing it for the right reasons should help, 
but never does. He's already planning something. He's already planning something. And the thing, the, the only issue that I would have with that is this is, our con? Is this our con, David? I'm I'm thinking that it might go that route. But here's the thing: that means that for me, Tarka has to die. Then in the end, or, he has to. Or something horrible happens to him. We tuck him away for two or three seasons and we bring him back with an even bigger story. And he's even more vengeful. That could work. And he finds us in space aboard the USS (laughs) Reliant. (laughs) That'd be so bad. Seti Alpha. He's Captain Burnham. Admiral Admiral Burnham. Admiral. Dude, I love that. I love that scene though in Con because of course you can see it. Like Ricardo Montalban plays that character beautifully, but when you watch that scene, it's almost like Con is is his his anger just spikes, knowing that Kirk became an admiral, (laughs) and he's like going admiral, like going that would be awesome. All right, we can't get into that. Save that, but yeah, David. This could be, and this is the right actor as well for that type of role. And when I say our con character, if you're a new listener, I just mean that some of the best characters or villains in Star Trek aren't always villains necessarily. Con is a guy that wanted his people to live. His methods were brutal because he was brought up during a brutal time in human history. So his methods didn't age well. But he wasn't, I would call, an evil person. No. General Chang from Star Trek VI was a bit of a nationalist. Yes. He believed in Klingon purity and the Klingon way and did not want the infiltration of the Federation. Who are other great characters? Um, the, the, the Borg, the I Borg. would say, are definitely a defining villain of Q. the TNG era. Q is more of an arch nemesis slash antagonistic force but again he's not you know a flat out yeah villain. I, I i'll give you that yeah and then so if we get if we get our version of that for discovery because we are due for that we need one we need discovery to churn out that one villain that everyone gravitates to and points to years down the road it's oh you remember that one season where you had tarka and he like did this and did that. He was just amazing in retrospect when you break down what they were doing with the character. So or for next look, gener- or if, for next generation fans, the the greatest character like that is Lore. Lore's not a villain. When you when you actually look at his story, you really feel sorry for him. He's, he's a, the he's a little misguided and detached. Yeah, and it's all because of one thing. He was abandoned by his father. His father threw him away by the wayside because it's the parents' fault. Why? He, <laughs> I know. Do just, you know that? just be good parents. Just be good parents, and you'll but have like, good people. Lore was created. He wasn't naturally evil. He just was imperfect. And then, you know, his father tossed him away because he's not as good as he his was fueled by jealousy. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't as good as his younger brother. Yeah. So David Tarka needs to be it, right? I yeah. mean, we're season four discovery. I'm not saying he shouldn't die this season, but whatever he does needs to be felt in the very fabric of our characters. Yeah. My, my, my thing is Tarka or book. I think, Oh, I think book. What if book becomes book, that? Book becomes oh, the wow. Because dude, after this episode, I thought of that. I'm like going, if you're expecting book to all of a sudden be healed by the love of Burnham. Yeah. No, that 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 cannot and should not happen. Yeah, because like, we conviction, bro. Yeah, we've we've just we, we've come to the understanding of like book is going through this idea of great loss. He's lost his self self worth. Burnham's not going to fill fill that up. You know, I'm sorry. He'd fill her <laughs> up. Oh, oh, oh. that's but inappropriate. It, no amount of. You know, cheesy melodramatic love no. is going to heal book. Yeah, and I was there was a part of me that was a little nervous for that because we all know that Discovery is the most touchy feely it is Star Trek show. 
everyone loves each other. Loves everyone each other. likes to like touch each other and give each other like little positive affirmations. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. The power hey. of math. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that I just want to go be a part of that crew and just fuck up the rapport of everyone. <laughs> Like you, you, see, would, you, see, you would you would ruin see, Stamets's uh, life, wouldn't like, you? See Stamets, you see that? Yeah, I saw Colbert checking out the hot the hot engineer uh, <laughs> during the uh, the night shift. If you know what I mean. Oh no, you just go you go up to Colbert. Are you sure you 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 know? What do you what do you see in him? Yeah, like listen, come on, <laughs> come on. Does he have a pretty face? No, <laughs> he's always crying. You better have a big dick at least, right, Colbert? There's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be some reason why you're with him. <laughs> Let's be honest. Colbert's a 10 and Stamus is like a three. Three. <laughs> it would be, it, oh, be so on. sad. He's, he's an Arizona three. That's where we live. So <laughs> in, in California, where he's from, he's like a one. He's a one. He's an LA one. <laughs> that's so fucked up. <laughs> it, is, it is. But like, that's the thing is like the series is missing that one clear cut villain that we can all say is like, we want them to come back again and again. Yeah, and David, you know, we were talking a lot about people's views and their ideology and how they don't necessarily view themselves as the bad guy and they feel like they're justified. That, all of that, that's why I said the implied within in this episode is a lot it's and a lot. actually substantiates what we talked about during our last discussion pertaining to ethical relativism where everyone has their their own idea of morality and who's to say you're right you're wrong because why because the way you grow up and your society tells you to do this and his society tells him to do that so the fact that there are no they're going they're trying to build that foundation of hey there there are different views and different perspectives and then we have these heavy implications of that in this episode, we are going down a route that's not going to be great. It's not going to be what I say great. I mean, for our characters, it's going to be devastating because there's going to be characters that think they're doing the right thing and they're going to be making all the wrong decisions. And the same thing goes for Tarka. Like Tarka may be on paper, the villain, let's say, let's say it ends up happening that way, but he's not going to be written with the villain finesse he isn't gonna be laughing in the shadows he isn't plotting some grand scheme scheme to kill society like that's not his end game his end game is probably gonna be closer to the doctor uh who's that guy from Star Trek 7. Why? Why? Put me back. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Put me back. That was a, the Nexus guy. The Nexus. Uh, Doctor. I mean, it's, it's Malcolm McDowell is the yeah. actor who is amazing. But it, but that character, yeah, that is the type of character that I think Tarker is. That guy who's just so obsessed at this point with revenge or whatever emotion that's going through his mind that that is all consuming. That's all he cares about. And it'll be interesting, like, that's why I said Tarka, I don't think Tarka can continue on in Discovery because his story, majority of the times, a character like that has to be killed because that's the, that's the tale of a revenge tale is like they become so obsessed that they just lose themselves and in essence, they die. Dr. Soren. Soren. Yeah. And... I think that's where Tark is going to be heading. Now, I, I I like the idea more of Book becoming the con of Discovery mm. because I honestly feel that at the end of this, especially when, you know, this whole episode, a majority of it is dealing with the aftermath and everyone dealing with the fact that Book just quote unquote betrayed them. Yeah. There's no turning back for Book. And at the end of this book, might the way that I see the scenario is Tarka ends up dying, and book is left by himself, but it doesn't remove his grief. Yeah, and I, Burnham's I, thinking, you know, Burnham and all of Starfleet think, ah, it's okay, everything's okay, right? Book and book is like, no, nothing's okay anymore, and then just leaves. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know if they're gonna if it's gonna be that clear cut, but we'll see. I'll be okay as long as the story keeps going in this direction. I honestly yeah. don't care how they end it. As long as they 
stick to their obvious game plan. I yes. feel like in years past, Charger Discovery <laughs> sets up this really great story, and then the last episode and a half just kind of fizzles. The cry it's not, of a child. Yeah, it's not horrible by any means. It's just kind of anticlimactic. anticlimactic. You're like, oh, okay, I see. All right, so for the more explicit aspects of the episode, the crew of the Discovery managed to collect additional data on the DMA's origins, or I should say unknown species 10C's coordinates. So the mysterious species from beyond the Great Barrier is far more technologically advanced than they had assumed. There's a structure or habitat, I guess, that's large enough to house a star and several celestial, celestial bodies, bodies inside. So that's essentially a solar system. Yes. Imagine if someone were to construct a structure of some sort around our sun, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter. That's what we're dealing with here. I think that's interesting and that's really heavy in the way of I don't think we've ever seen an alien species in Star Trek in its 50 plus years that has been that strong and not have been and not be a super being. Super beings have no need for structures this big. Yeah. Super beings you can sometimes reason with because of their higher intelligence. And many times it seems like they're more about proving themselves as some type of higher life. Higher form, life. But form. they don't want to kill you because deities don't kill because they have no one to worship them. The closest the closest thing that you could possibly. This is like the expanse and enterprise. Do you remember? Yes. In the is it the expanse uh, in the finals or is it the third season of Star Trek Enterprise? The the. The villains of season four, three, they had the technology to create an entire planet encapsulated, I, I want to say, in a structure. Yeah. And that's the thing is like there's not very many beings we know of that are that all powerful. I mean, the closest ones that I thought of were the Guardians of Forever. The Zindi is, is what they were called from the Star Zindi Trek from Enterprise. Star Trek Enterprise. And then like beings like that or even like uh you could even say like the the beings that voyager ran into toward the end of their season where it was like they were in another i think it was like a pocket universe or something yeah species eight four seven three four seven three yeah something like that and then like those are the type of beings that i'd be thinking that okay that's where they're leading towards for the dma maybe even you know we've talked about it you know the god <laughs> the 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 being that is in the center of the universe. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that those types of creatures, that's why I'm saying that it's not them. This is something I feel like these beings are a lot more, they're a lot more, um, they're less abstract and more tangible. They're not going to be those classic super beings that super we beings. had theorized because a super being doesn't necessarily need uh, an enclosed structure. Yeah. Why does God need a starship? Exactly, David. Exactly. <laughs> So what makes this even more complicated is that they figured out that the DMA is nothing more than a way for this unknown species to mine needed materials known as boronite to sustain the energy needed to power their structure. This is a species that's simply conducting mining, which then, uh, which then <laughs> David brings in the entire aspect of moral relativism Yet again, yes. are they doing anything wrong? All they're simply doing is mining. I feel like we're moving into areas of environmentalism as well, which yes. is nothing new to Star Trek. Star Trek has delved into environmentalism many, many times, many times. But when they did that, it definitely it changed things. It changed things. It changed how you how you see the narrative and see the story unfolding. Because how do you even know? Like, okay, so are the this unknown species? Do they know what they're doing? Okay, because that's one view. That's one thing that can take our narrative in one direction. Let's say they they're not aware of what they're doing. Okay, well, let's say the opposite. Let's say they are aware that through the process of their mining, they're killing. People, but to them, these people are are insects. Are They're insects. so lower than them at every level in uh, an advanced civilization capacity 
that they don't care. They don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. Exactly. That allows the narrative to go in a completely opposite direction. So at this point, we're at a bit of a crossroads when it comes to speculation because what's the threat? Is it going to be the issue of mining the boromite, which is connected to the DMA and the unknown species? Or is this real threat going to be Harka and Book? That And that's where I totally agree with what you said earlier. I think Tarka is the main threat. And honestly, David, you know what I, my theory is, I know you have yours. You know what I think is going to happen? I almost feel like this species doesn't realize that there's intelligent life. life. Exactly. And what's going to happen is you're going to wake the sleeping giant. Yes. Book and Tarka are going to nudge this dragon that's that's coveting all the gold inside the dwarf cave. They're going to nudge him. And suddenly it's going to rear its head and realize, oh, what, what are these people over here doing? That's exactly how the Borg was introduced. Yes. That, I think that's what's going to happen. And I don't know if it's going to be a massive ramification this season or later. I almost feel like Tarka and Book are the focus for this season and what they're going to do. And I almost feel like this season is going to end on that note. The, the, the revelation that this unknown species goes through when they realize, who are these people? Are they a threat? And they may view us as a threat after we try to destroy them. And suddenly we're now faced, the, the Federation's faced with, with this advanced, advanced species, species like the Federation has never seen before. And I'm happy with this if they end up going in this direction, because what have I said about this new era of Star Trek? We need to quit dredging up the past and we need to start moving forward and blazing our own trails. And one thing that I can say about Discovery this season is they have focused on blazing new trails this year rather than continually harping on the past. And do you realize the amazing thing about this, Mike? I mean, ever since we started the season, we criticized. I remember us criticizing them blowing up and destroying Quajon, and it just seemed like they did it just to create melodrama for right, Brock. Right, right. And now we're standing here during this episode at the end of this going, it all was worth it. It mattered. The, yeah. the whole thing about what the you whole mean thing about his putting something in your TV show that matters. What exactly? What is this it, about? It actually mattered to not just Burnham, but the development of a character that could potentially be the vil the the overall iconic villain that we that Discovery needs. Yeah, it could end up being great. All right, get more from the holiday content by pledging to our Patreon page. This year, we've got a wide variety of truck content planned for Patreon subscribers, so you don't want to miss out. Pre-shows, exclusive podcast episodes like reviews on truck novels, comic books, and topical discussions revolving around various Star Trek elements and more. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge a minimum of $5 a month to gain access to our podcast and behind-the-scenes tiers. When you do so, it helps us continue to broadcast on the air and justify the hours of content we give out for free every single year. If we are to continue to broadcast and produce more episodes, we do need the assistance from the viewers. As I had said at the top of the show, I estimate that we'll have over 50 new episodes this year from the free side. We can only do these types of things if we hit certain Patreon subscribing numbers. So if you like our show, get more of what you like, go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Okay, Dave, so a few other things worthy of note. I cannot tell you how happy I am, David. Can we please take a moment to congratulate Captain Burnham on finally becoming a captain and taking it on the chin? And following orders. Yes. I was waiting for her to argue with Vance and then the president. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's actually taking this like a mature captain should take. And she's not crying. She's you not crying. She's not crying. She's not uh, talking back. She's not being rebellious. Have we finally turned over a leaf, David, when it I'm, comes to her character? I'm truly hoping so. Because, like, that moment when Rilek, uh, President Rilek just 
tears into Burnham. Yeah. I'm like going, it was pretty low below the belt, but it was also very understandable because from the, from relaxed point of view, it's very easy to see that Burnham probably is compromised because of book. Yeah. And the fact that the way Burnham reacts is very mature and very captain. Like she doesn't cry. She doesn't yell. <laughs> I was waiting for her to do that that desperate plea with her eyes that she does yes. before she cries. Yeah. And listen, as a man, solely as a douche right now, I love it. She's hot. I'm like, yeah. yes, give me those eyes. But give if, me those sad eyes. But as but a, a captain, but as a person watching a show and critiquing it, I'm like, okay, let's, let's start seeing you act like a captain. And there was no emotion that wasn't warranted being shown in yeah. the scenes with book. It was the right amount. I, I'm thinking the writers are finally finding that middle ground. Yes. And it's really working for her character this and, year. And I like the actual adage. We get to finally see Vance do something. You know, and what I mean by that is Vance take initiative and show that he's willing to back the Discovery crew. And also have his own story a bit as well. Yeah. A bit of a subplot because for the most part, he was just, he's just kind of been a stand in for authority. Yeah. And and that's pretty much it. Now they're giving him a little bit more of a personal flair by bringing up his family and how he has brought them back to live with them. And now he may have to bring them back or take them back because of the danger that's now, you know, knocking down their door. So I do like that they were giving us a bit of Vance, a little bit more for Vance. As well. Uh, Hugh Colbert blames himself for not being able to help book. Oh, no, no. This is Stamets' fault. Colbert, don't blame yourself. <laughs> yes, Colbert. Yourself. You see them washboard abs? I saw you on the cover of Out Magazine. <laughs> don't be coy. Don't be coy. It's not your fault. It's that one that's next to you. <laughs> I feel so bad because Anthony Rapp is an actually good looking dude. I, and you know what? This season, he's actually a lot better. Than he's been I, almost see all the things that irritated me about him. They were, they were there a little bit at the beginning of the season, but for the most part, they have completely disappeared. I just don't like his constant whining and complaining. That's the thing. That's and the thing. He's you know, not doing that this year as, as a, as a, as a card carrying bisexual male, Mike, Anthony Rapp's a good looking dude. And, but when Stamets opens his mouth, it, it drops. And it, it drops. He goes from a Hollywood four to Hollywood, Hollywood one. And then it goes to a Hollywood one. Exactly. And it's like, that's normal because Stamets is just so unlikable because I'm sorry. He's constantly crying. I know. <laughs> he's constantly Honestly, there's just way too much touchy, touchy feely on this ship. Yeah. Can and you imagine Picard in this environment? Early Picard, TNG Picard, he would be having a shit fit. Anytime someone tries to touch him and ask him how his day is going, yeah. he'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> or, or the thing that irritated me too about this. No you, children on the bridge. <laughs> Colbert blaming himself for this. And I'm like going, Stamets, be a good, be a good man and stick up for your man. No, oh. no. He's going to just stand there and be sad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say give up the ass. I was like, be a good man and give him some love. Give him some love. <laughs> make, make Culver happy. You know, it's not his fault. Okay, so another thing is the changeling. Now, my question, because this has never been answered as far as I know in Star Trek. There have been various sentient beings called Changelings. Changelings, yeah. Now, the ones that come to mind immediately is, of course, from Deep Space Nine. And also the other is from Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country. Yes. The fellow inmate of Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy. <laughs> yeah, he hit him in the, hit him in the balls. <laughs> yeah, do you want to get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that young lady changeling, I guess. Those are the only two that come to mind right now. I know there's been other ones that have been alluded to, but since Deep Space Nine, there hasn't been any other introductions of changelings. This is the first time. So is this Odo's species or is this another changeling species? Yeah, you got to remember that alien species have changed over time in Discovery. They've, they've done a decent enough job showing the progression. 
So, so, you did notice that her face, though. That's the only thing. And, yes. and I'm wondering if this is, this might have been a changeling from Odo's species, because when they went to their final form, they did have that slight bridge yeah, on the, the nose. Angle, the angular yeah. look. And that's so, what I thought, too. Because, like, that was a telltale sign of. What if the founders are in that? <laughs> structure mike do you want me to go through the bad oh, bad wait, speculation uh, that are, could possibly be there hold on let's see how much time do we have you know what let's <laughs> go to our final thoughts final and thoughts? then if we have time i want to oh. get into those ridiculous theories i have ridiculous i, I want to know who's man. wait are they your theories or blog theories a little both oh, a little dude, both you, i just came up should, with ridiculous honestly ones. you probably fit better with those theories from <laughs> you probably should write some blogs because some, some blogs. of your theories are ridiculous oh yeah yeah i have some doozies <laughs> okay so final thoughts I, I like the episode i don't have any complaints the owo fight scene was okay at first i was getting nervous about it because <laughs> anyone that listens to our shows knows that i have a problem when you pair up a male and a female in a fight and then you try to convince the audience that a female can just punch and take balls. out a guy <laughs> now that's why i was okay with it because of that because, for example, when you, the goal to fighting a man is not letting him get close enough if you're a woman. Because once a guy bear hugs you, you're done. You're not going to break free from that unless you are expertly trained in martial arts. So what you need to do is do exactly what Owo did and um, cock punch him. <laughs> cock punch him. <laughs> I was like, the power of the that, cock punch. Yeah. So the fact that, that, that she hustled him, number one, I like that. And then number two, she cock punched him. Listen, you're not <laughs> the fact that he got up and still still and still tried to put on a fight says a lot about that guy. Because if I got cock punched, I'm done. I'm like, oh, you win. I'm fucking out. Exactly. And unfortunately for me, that was the one that I I told you was I was kind of iffy on because it just seems so stereotypical and it seems so. Listen, what are you gonna do, Dave? Uh, listen, I'm not a woman. And yet I would go, I would do a cock punch. If there was a giant dude coming at me, <laughs> guess what I'm doing? Cock punching. Well, the funny part is it, especially with Star Trek, they've done the joke of cock punching <laughs> so much better. I mean, come on. You mentioned the movie earlier, Undiscovered Country. What did, what did Kirk do? Right. He kicked him in the kneecaps because McCoy told him about that. The rep re reproductive organs were in the knees. <laughs> Yeah, no, it wasn't McCoy. It was the changeling. Oh, it was the changeling that, that, yeah. that said it. He's all, not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place. In the same place. Yeah. And I'm like going, it, the O stuff was kind of hit or miss for me. That's that's partially what brought my score down. You're talking about the fight the, stuff? Yeah, the I, I could have done without it as well. I could have done without it because it just, I don't know, for it me, felt it just a little felt out of, out, of place. out of place. Yeah. I was like going... Did we? Uh, we never we saw ever that saw? she was an expert fighter like that. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Like, I don't. I don't remember them saying that. Oh, is like this super martial artist, apparently. Yeah. And David, the way I look at it is, you gave us a great story that was written well. The narrative was structured just fine. So that's why stuff like that, I'm not going to harp on too much when it comes to my final. Yeah. My final thoughts, because overall the episode was was solid. very solid. I'm going to give this episode an 89%. I'm with you there. I'm actually have the same score for uh, with you as an 89 the, because it's so hard to find narrative issues in this episode. The only, the only issues I have is like quote unquote creative choices. And I can't dock too much on this episode for those creative choices. Like, with the OA stuff, oh, okay. I, I, I was like going, why do we have to have her join the freaking fight club? <laughs> Isn't there something else that she could have done instead of, oh, and yeah. then lead to, well, a, lead to a cock punch? It's just like the problems I had in the first season of Discovery when Giorgio, who is probably a buck ten, she's very thin. Yeah. And you have Burnham, who's also very small. And they're going head to head. With Klingons. With Klingons. And it, it, it and didn't like seem that, right. Yeah, it felt, and they and they were there was body contact. There was they were too close. If they found a way to choreograph the scene to where the they managed to keep the Klingons at bay and fight them on their own terms, which you know allowed them to 
move quicker than them, then that would work. Yeah. But I just, I, that really gets under my skin. And it doesn't just bother me. It bothers actors as well. There was an interview I, I watched years ago with Charlize Theron, and she was talking about that movie that she uh, starred in a few years back, Atomic Blonde. Yeah. And she said one of the first things she did when she got on set, or when she got brought into the project, I should say, was she had a conversation with the director and said, this is a very action-oriented script. That's why I'm here. I This appeals to me. But I want to make sure that my action when I'm fighting men is realistic. Is realistic. And she said, that's why she said, when you watch the movie, you're going to see that I use everything and anything I can when I'm fighting men. I'm using objects on the wall. I'm grabbing pans. I'm yeah. grabbing, you know, pictures, anything I can find. I'm using it as a weapon. And I never let these people get close to me. And when I do, I use my entire body and use the weight of my body to cause the man to fall and feel, you know, imbalanced, basically off kilter. There we yeah. go. And that way, she said, it justifies why I can kick everyone's ass. Mm-hmm. And it's and that. That idea, too, is also what strikes me in Star Trek and in Discovery in regards to Discovery, too, is like it's not so much as it's a it's it's a man versus a woman for me. But if we're supposed to believe that these these quote unquote male characters are aliens. Right. And yet all these gigantic aliens are you know, they're, they're helpless against a smaller alien species. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. That, that hurts my Star Trek brain. Yeah. And we're, <laughs> we're kind of harping on it now, but it honestly is not a negative. It's not overall. a negative. It didn't so. take the, it didn't take the score down. You said 80, 89% is what 89 you're doing with it. you too. I was, I was right there with you because okay. it, it was just a really strong narrative episode. So we have 60 seconds, Dave. Why don't you give me one of your, either your theories okay. or something you've heard online okay i'm gonna go with one that i, I thought have the of. tomatoes ready i have one that i thought of but also i can verify that more than myself have thought about this in this episode okay, okay. when they mentioned that basically they were mining i literally thought mm-hmm. of you know what'd be really funny and bad is if it was nero Oh, come on. Why would it be Nero? That's because he got sucked into a black hole. We don't know what's in the black, what was on the other side. Hmm. We know that his ship, it wasn't destroyed. I'm alive, motherfuckers. I'm exactly. Alive. David, Nero's alive. David, <laughs> never right for Star Trek. And then, and then, you know, he'll pop out and say, I know your brother. <laughs> and then, and then suddenly Khan joins them and they're both on the same side trying to defeat the Federation. <laughs> David, horrible idea. <laughs> horrible idea. Give, give me one more doozy. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. What was the one that I saw originally? That's, I've, that's I've a seen bit of some a pretty bad ones online. What, what have you seen? Because I gave you one that I verified that at least I'm not the only one who thought this. A lot of people are thinking it's um, more and more what we were talking about. The shockery. The, the sh- god of shockery. That's what that's the other one I was going to bring up. The God of Shakari, like probably his species. But I, again, after this episode, I don't think I don't think it, it would, would be, be a species like that. I think we're talking more a more tangible being. Yeah, why would a, it something be? more physical? If you're not a physical species, then you don't necessarily need a structure of that size. Unless it's not even a straw. I'm, I'm assuming it's a habitat or a housing structure of some unit. Perhaps it's just a way to collect energy for some reason. Yeah, I'm the the thing is. At this point, after this episode, when they gave the description of what's there, I basically said it can't be anything like the God of Shakari or the or the founders, because <laughs> why in the world would the, any of those species need a structure to live in? The God of Shakari, you know, it's kind of like what Kirk said. Why does God need a starship? Why would the God of Shakari need this DMA to get out if he couldn't get out of the center of the universe to get go i think it's the villains uh what are the name of the villains again from lower decks this past year 
the 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 uh oh man they were my favorite too yeah make, make a strong species make a strong species. like listen they're super strong they must have found some alien technology that was abandoned and now they're super strong what would you what a would thousand you years of the future yeah, if they the if pack they, lids that's the what pack the pack lids. lids if the pack lids actually evolved and the, they show up and they just basically say give us janeway oh that's the worst that, that david okay i'm gonna close out the show i want to thank everyone for listening be sure to head over to our patreon please patreon.com slash rainman digital we have a lot of content and a lot of work to do it takes me about three or four hours to work on the show every week so please you're not throwing away your money you're it's a it's a great investment patreon.com make us strong patreon.com slash rayman digital thank you david live long and prosper i couldn't help but notice your pain my pain it runs deep share it with me end simulation